Well, good morning. Glad you guys have joined us today on this, yeah, kind of unsuspected weather outside, but, but uh, good time to worship inside. So thanks for coming and joining us today. Um, I'm going to start out, you know, get rid of that echo. I feel like I'm in a huge hall. Anyway, uh, I remember... Uh, we started a church up in Wisconsin. We were there for 14 years. Uh, when, when we first uh, moved there, I, I joined the fire department as sort of a way to, to get to know some of the guys in the area as a volunteer fire department. They do training, and so got a job doing that kind of thing. And I remember there's a, a kind of a defining, a significant defining moment for me and for Tina and I, and even for um, the, the churches that we would start in the future that kind of happened there. So they after I'd been on the department maybe six months or, I don't know, a year or something, they had, I think, what was like maybe their 125th anniversary or something as a fire department, and that had all kinds of festivities. They had parties and celebrations. One night, I think the first night, they uh, kind of invited the community in. They pulled out all the trucks, got out all the toys, and people could sort of walk through and just kind of get to see, you know, look through the wall with the, the ca- some of the cameras and some of the cool toys and get to put on some fire. Little kids are putting on firefighter boots and hats and the whole, the whole shebang, walking through trucks. And uh, we went, and we were having fun. We were, we were working, but at the same time, just kind of enjoying. We were talking to some of the firefighters and just kind of hanging out. And uh, at the time, we were still, the church hadn't started yet. We were still trying to kind of build relationships, get to know people. And there was a, a few Christians that walked by on the other side of the street. They were just kind of walking uh, in downtown Algoma, the big city. And uh, Tina and I didn't know too many at that time. And so we thought, you know what? We're going to go say hi. And so we walked across the street, and we were like, hey, guys, what are you doing out? And whatever. And, uh, and we kind of did our pleasantries, and within uh, about 30 seconds, the conversation started taking a decided turn towards the more negative. And they're like, I don't know how you can hang out with those people, is, is kind of where the conversation started going. I'm like, well, you mean the firefighters? I'm, I kind of blew it off, right? Like, yeah, they're a rough and tumble crew, but, you know, we love them and feel like we're called, you know, called to reach them and that kind of stuff. And they're like, yeah, but they drink and they're vulgar and they're whatever. I mean, it just kind of kept going further and further. And I kind of made some sort of little remark again. And then, I mean, they kind of went there again. And finally, I'm like, you know what? These are people that Christ loves and he died for. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that kind of a thing. And we kind of said our goodbyes at that point and walked back across the street. And I can remember Tina and I ended up uh, we were walking home that night, so we, we were walking back to our house, and on the way, we kind of had this epiphany of sorts and just said, you know, I think this is the problem with the church in America, right? I mean, there's, there are, we're surrounded by thousands and millions of people around us that are starving to know the love of Christ, to know the presence of Christ, the healing power of Christ, to know his forgiveness and his grace. We're surrounded by them, but we are so filled with, with judgment and condemnation of sort of elevating ourselves and putting them down that we won't even walk across the street to let them know that there is a God who loves them, who died to save them. And we said, you know what, whatever else our lives are about, we're like, we want to be, we want to be the kind of Christians and the kind of Christ followers that actually love people, that walk across the street and embrace people who desperately need Jesus. So the weekend, that was, that was kind of the first half of it. The next night, there was a, a big banquet. They had like, I don't know, 300 past and present firefighters and EMS people and all that kind of stuff and, uh, and their families and all that kind of stuff. And, we, you know, I'm the only pastor in the bunch, of course. And so they're, they're like, hey, would you pray before the meal gets going? And I'm like, sure, I, I can pray. I do that, you know, kind of thing. And so got up before the meal and just said, hey, let's pray together. And I, I just prayed uh, for the firefighters and for the EMS people, I thank God for them. I mean, these are people that regularly risk their lives, right, to keep the rest of us safe. And so I just thank God for them. I pray God's blessing on them. I pray that he'd open up their eyes to draw them close, that they could know his presence and his power in their lives. And I just was kind of praying along those lines. And by the way, thanks for the food, right? I was one of those kind of prayers. And uh, kind of got done and said our amens. And, and uh, I went and sat down. We had our meal. And afterwards, there was another one of those moments where there's a, I mean, one of the very few people that had a reputation in this town of being a, a Christian. And uh, he came up to me afterwards and he said, nice prayer. He said, what you should have said, what you should have said is you're all a bunch of alcoholics and you're going to hell. He said, if you're really, if you're really going to speak truth, that's what you should have said to him if you want to reach him. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't even know what to say, you know, like you're rocked back. You're like, really? Like that's, that's what I should have said? Like that's, and I don't know, as I was thinking about that later, I was like, 
I don't know what it is with us I, as, as Christians, and I'm not saying all of us are that way, but it seems like we, somehow the church in America, we've got this picture in our head that says, man, if we were really faithful to God, right, if we were, if we were really going to be good evangelists or good, if we're going to really have impact, that it would look something like that that we would be looking down our noses at people, that we would be sort of better than those around us, that we would be, you know, calling people names or whatever else. And so yeah, we, all we end up doing is we, we end up polarizing. So there's either a, a few, not many, but there's a few that, that sort of live that thing out. And they do all kinds of damage in the name of Jesus, don't they? Like people that are like, I'm never following Jesus because I've met some Christ followers and I don't want to be anything like that. And then you've got kind of, by and large, what I think is the majority of Christians that are like, I don't, I don't know how to do that, but if that's what evangelism, if that's what living a purposeful life looks like, I want nothing to do with it. And so we've got this, the masses of people that are over here that are like, I love Jesus, I follow him, I worship him on Sundays, but I'm not going to be thrown in with that camp, so I'm just not going to say anything, right? I'm not going to do anything because I don't want to be a hater because I don't want to be, right? I don't want to be self-righteous, blah, 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 fill in the blank, right? I mean, I don't want to be that. And so then we just do nothing. And the stats would say that's, that's America right there, that there's the majority of us actually don't say anything. One denomination, a major uh, evangelical denomination, did some research recently and found that the average church member in their churches open their mouths to just, and I'm not even talking about sharing Christ, but open their mouths to invite a friend to church once every 28 years. That's what the average in their denomination is. So we're not even talking about sharing the gospel. We're not even talking about pointing people to Jesus. Just, just sort of the entry level, like, I'll, you want to come to church sometime, <laughs> right? That kind of a thing. Once every 28 years. In February, some of you might have seen this. There was some new data that came out that said that almost half of self-proclaimed Christian millennials say that evangelism is wrong. And you want to know where that comes from? This is my, this is my interpretation. But I... I think they're looking at that going, yeah, that's wrong, right? That, if that's what it looks like, then I don't think we should be doing it. I, don't, I think we should chuck evangelism out the door. I think we should no longer tell people about Jesus if that's what it looks like. It's sort of a backlash to that kind of thing. And I, I, and I understand it, right? I mean, who wants a part of that? There's all kinds of stats that have been done and stuff that say, uh, that say on average in America, in, a, in your average Christian church, it takes 100 people and a pastor one year to lead one person to Christ. It's because we're just not, in, we're just not involved. We're, we're kind of over here. We're sidelined. And yet I have to say, as I start looking at and thinking through and the, the life of Jesus, that's not how he lived. It wasn't this. <laughs> he was not over here. In fact, he had strong words for the religious leaders and the people that were, were putting stumbling blocks in people's ways. Nor was he passive and said, you know, it's okay. Just kind of float along with. He was, he, he was able to live out the mission in a way that I think is foreign to most of us, but in a way that was winsome, in a way that, that lost people in particular, people that were far from God, people that were not your typical church people who were whatever, had, had negative experiences in the past in ways that they couldn't get enough. They're like, man, there's something about the way he's teaching. There's something about the way he's talking about God. There's something about his life. I want that. And I'm like, man, there's something right about this. And that's kind of what I want us to look at today a little bit more. Is like, I want us to learn about having impact from the life of Jesus, from his influence on those that were hurting and broken and far from God. His knee-jerk reaction, instead of condemnation, his knee-jerk reaction was most, almost always compassion and love and help in bringing them back home to God. He wasn't trying to body slam anybody. He wasn't calling names unless you were that religious group that's over there. And then he called them snakes and uh, hypocrites and some of that kind of stuff. But for those, that, for those that they would look down on, those that they would say, oh, no, not we don't want you hanging out with those people. For those that were far from God, man, he had compassion. He had love. And he was calling them back home to life with the Father. He did it again and again and again. He drew close to them. He engaged those people in relationship. He loved them, and he welcomed them home. Well, I was reading this week in John chapter 4, it's a classic story, the woman at the well. We've looked at it not too long ago, uh, so I'm not going to read through the story, but 
I'll give you a little synopsis of the story, and then I want to just call your attention to a few verses at the end. But Jesus is uh, in Samaria, which was not like a, a, a great place for Jews to go, right? They kind of didn't like the Samaritans at all. And so, uh, so he is going through Samaria. He stops to rest by a well, and a woman comes up, and he engages her in conversation. And the, the conversation tends to sort of be all around this theme of uh, of spiritual thirst. <laughs> and, uh, and he starts basically painting this picture and leading her through this process and saying, you know what? God can satisfy your life in ways that guys and stuff and everything else never could in a million lifetimes. He, in him is fullness in life. And if you would just come, you would find the life that you were born for. And so there's this, all this, I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing interaction. And again, uh, he's engaging with a Samaritan and a Samaritan woman, which was just something that was not done in those days. And, and about this time, after he's had this phenomenal spiritual conversation with this woman, his disciples come back, right? And they are not happy that he is talking to this Samaritan woman. And we're going to pick up the story there. Uh, it's in John 4, starting with verse 27. I just want you to kind of get the picture here. It says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised, it says. <laughs> they were like, Oh, to find him talking with this Samaritan woman. But nobody asked, uh, what do you want or why are you talking with her? They were afraid at this point. <laughs> then leaving her, her, jar, uh, her water jar, the woman went back into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the chosen one? Could this be the, the one that has been prophesied about? And so all these people came out of the town and they made their way towards him. By the way, the first... Uh, Samaritan missionary was this woman, right? Fascinating story, but anyway, we'll keep going. It says, meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, uh, what? Right? He said, could, could, could somebody have brought him food? And Jesus shakes his head. This is my interpretation. Shakes his head and says, no, no, no. My food is to do the will of the Father, to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, can I just pause for just a second and say, what's the will of the Father that he is, that he is doing? What's the work that the Father has given Jesus in that moment? What is it? Spreading the word to who? To everybody. But he's, he's he, at this moment, what that means to live out the mission that the Father had given to Jesus was to have this spiritual conversation with this Samaritan woman at the well, right? That's, that's the, the work and the will. Uh, again, not to look down his nose at her, but to point her back home to life with the Father. And then he goes on and says, don't you uh, have a saying that says, it's still four months until the harvest? He says, I tell you, Jesus says, open your eyes, he says to his followers, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe with harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. Now don't let the reaper, like don't, don't get, get images of the grim reaper or anything. That's not what we're talking about. It's a farming metaphor, right? Sowing is like taking seeds and scattering it and then it grows and reaping is what? It's like harvesting, right? That's, that's what they're talking about in this thing. But what's Jesus saying to his followers? He's saying, yeah, they're coming back. They're looking down our noses. They're surprised that Jesus is talking to such a woman. And he's like, he's like, first of all, it's the will of my father, he says, first and foremost. Then he goes on and says, and if you were to just open your eyes, you would see that God has placed dozens and hundreds and thousands of people around you that are so close to the kingdom. They're hungering for it. They're thirsting for the life that can only be found in Jesus. If you would just open your eyes, you would see that the fields are ripe with harvest. I'm giving you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, day in and day out, to make a difference, to point people back home, to help people come into my kingdom. If you would quit judging, looking down your noses, and you were to actually move towards them with love and engage them in conversation and point them back home to the Father, it, who knows how much fruit could be born? Who knows what God could do through you if you would do that? That's what he says to his followers. That's, that's sort of the thrust of this passage now, what I think is fascinating is, is you look at Jesus' model here with the woman at the well, and even his model uh, as you go throughout the New Testament and through the entire Bible, actually. 
And his model has never been one. He doesn't send his followers out to impact the world and say, you know, I want you to use a judgment strategy. I want you to look down your noses and call people names. That's never been his plan. I want you to point out how terrible they are and how great you are. That's not his strategy. Never has been, never will be. Nor is it a hating strategy. Like, if you could just go out and be a hater, right, like that's really going to impact the world. That's not his strategy. No, it's never been a self-righteousness strategy. In fact, anytime we are self-righteous, it actually does damage to the message of the gospel, right? The, the central thrust of Jesus' teaching and the central thrust of the New Testament is that we're a wreck on our own. And the only hope we have for salvation, the only hope and reason we can come back to God is because of Jesus. It's because he's enough. It's because he's good enough. And he is, through his sacrifice that we're celebrating this week, right, his life, his death and his resurrection, any of us, sin, the worst sinner, right? All of us in, that, in the same situation, the people full of sin, people that have messed up again and again and again, we can come back and be forgiven and be made new because of Christ. Anytime we start saying, oh no, I'm good enough, that's an offense to the gospel. It means we don't get it. It's never that way. You get, you get what I'm saying? It's a big deal. His, his strategy has never been one of self-promotion or self-righteousness, like I'm better than you. The opposite. The ground is level. It's flat. It's we, we're screwed up on our own, and we are 100% dependent on God's grace and mercy and love that's shown through Jesus Christ. That's the only hope that we have for salvation and everything else. God's plan, Jesus' strategy, we see it from the book of Genesis through the book of Revelation. His plan to impact the world through you and through me has always been a blessing strategy. Literally, a blessing strategy. It's weird, but God pretty consistently uses this blessing strategy throughout human history to draw people to himself. As far back as Genesis 12, we see that, that was, that's God's strategy to reach the world. And it starts with a, a promise that God makes to a guy by the name of Abraham, right? And this promise is actually reiterated and given to several different people, and you get a little bit bigger picture and fuller picture of, of what this promise was, but it finally one day finds its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ, right? But this, it starts out in, in Genesis 12. He's like, there's a, there's, a, there's a hope coming. There's a promise coming. There's a Savior even coming, which we'll see later, but, but and he, it's going to change everything. But I want you to look at this. It's a blessing strategy that, that God gives in this promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, starting with verse 2, it says this. God says to Abraham, he says, I will make you into a great nation. And does he, by the way? What's the nation? Israel, Israel right? It's God's people in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, God's people are who? The church, right? Absolutely. So he says, here's, here's what I'm going to do, Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And then listen to this. He says, I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And then listen to this. He says, and, and you will be a blessing. And he goes on. In fact, he says, in fact, all the people on the earth will be blessed. What's that say? Through you. Through you, yeah. You are blessed for a purpose, he says. You are blessed to be a blessing to others. It's fascinating. I think sometimes we, we're real comfortable with the first half of that, like we're blessed. Yeah, let's focus there, right? Let's, let's stay there. And, and of course, God does. We pray prayers. We're like, God, would you bless us, right? Would you bless our family? Would you bless me? Would you, would you? And of course, he does again and again and again and again. He forgives us. He loves us. He draws us close. He provides for us. He pours out his spirit and his presence and his power on us. He reveals himself to us and on and on and on. But the Bible makes it abundantly clear that we're blessed not just to enjoy that storehouse for ourselves forever, not just to take it and hoard what God gives us to ourselves. No, he says, no, no, no. You are blessed so that you can bless others. You are blessed to be a blessing to others so that we can point other people to Christ, so that we can encourage others that are going through a similar rough patch as to what we've been through, so that we can be generous towards others with what he, has, he himself has given to us. We are blessed to be a blessing. God wants to use you to impact those around you, and he's going to do it through a blessing strategy. Now, I have to say, I, I heard and ran across this, um, this uh, 
study uh, that was done. It was actually a doctoral dissertation that was done on, on two different groups, two different missionary groups that were going to do missions work in Thailand. And one of them, uh, the, the, the title of the thing is actually Blessers versus Converters, okay? And he, he said each one of these missions groups had a strategy and had a focus. One of them was focused on conversions, right? And he calls those the converters. And he said everything they do, they were about, they were about taking tracks and they were about going and telling people the message and every, I mean, praying, do everything in, in hopes that people would pray the prayer with them. They would believe and convert to Christianity. Now, is that a bad thing? No, of course. Of course, that's part of our hearts, part of God's heart, right? To see people come to know Jesus. But everything that they did was focused on that. And so they're trying to, uh, forgive me, but they're kind of trying to get the sale, right? It was a little bit transactional. They were trying to convert. They were trying to convert. They were trying to convert. People on the other, on the other team, though, they said, you know what? Here's the deal. We're going we're gonna to adopt a blessing strategy. And it, I mean, yes, we want to see people come to know Christ too, but everywhere we go, we're going to pray and we're going to do whatever we can do to serve and to help and to bless both the city and the people that live there. And so then they tracked these, these two different groups for two years. And uh, the kind of the thrust of the, the study is they found two significant things, statistically significant things. The first one, and this one is sort of like, duh, but the first one, uh, the first part of that is that uh, those that were in the blessing group, the blessers, did a tremendous amount of social good, right? I mean, and you're like, well, duh. But it, it's, what's interesting is that the converters did not, right? So, so there was all kinds of connections and ways that they had served and bettered the lives of those people that they were connected with in the city that they were a part of. And so they, they saw all kinds of uh, good things come out of there, right? There was, there was uh, a better society. That they, they served people. They met needs, all that kind of stuff. Again, that's not rocket science. It's what you'd expect to find. But the, the second thing that they found in this study, which is what, what was super interesting, was that the blesser group reached 50 times more people for Christ than the converter group. Isn't that interesting? So, so 50 times the number of people that were reached over there were actually came and put their faith and trust in Christ as a result of the blessing strategy. And I read that and I think, well, yeah, right? Because that's always been the way it's meant to be. That's always been God's strategy, that we are blessed to, to bless other people. The blessers helped 50 times more people discover new life in Christ. The bottom line is that the best way, the most effective way to impact lives, to impact eternities, to impact culture and cities is to be a blessing to those around us. It's always been God's strategy. Jesus did this kind of thing all the time, and it's what he calls us to as well, to be a blessing, to be salt and light, to shine and to bless and to impact those around us, those who are in need or those who are far from God or those who need help or whatever. Today in the time we've got left, I just want to spend some time on some practical steps of what that looks like because we can talk about being a blessing. And that's like a really churchy word. And you're like, okay, great. What does that actually mean? How do I do that? And so we're going to try and answer the how question uh, on this. And I, I totally ripped this off, by the way. I heard this uh, maybe, I don't know, a couple years ago from some guys by the name of Dave and John Ferguson. They're pastors and church planners in the Chicago area. They do a conference called Exponential for Church Planners. And uh, fantastic stuff. But they uh, came up with this acronym called BLESS. And so uh, I'm going to share it with you. I put it on a bookmark. And the reason I put it on a bookmark is because I want you to keep it, right? I want you to stick it in your Bible if you read it. If you, if you don't read a paper Bible, put it on your fridge or on your nightstand or someplace else that you can see this and it will jar your memory on what we're going to talk about today. But it's a BLESS strategy. And it's based, it's five different sort of missional practices. Very specific, very practical, very easy things that you and I can do to, to, to live our lives more in that missional sort of way, as a way to, to help impact and carry out the mission of Jesus in the world in which you and I live. And you don't have to look, doesn't require looking down your noses or judging or hating or anything like that. It involves blessing. It's a blessing strategy. Does that make sense? I really believe that if you and I were to do this, and I'm, I'm preaching it, but again, it's not one of these like good message pastor, right? And then we go on. I mean, the whole idea is that if I really believe if you and I were to put at least one of these things into practice every day of our lives, 
I think we have no idea what God, would, what God could do for his kingdom. I can almost guarantee you God would change lives. He would change eternities, and he'd do it through you and through me if we were to just put these into practice. You with me? All right, so that's where we're going. First one, I'll just kind of walk through these. Uh, some I'll spend a little more time on than others, but the first one is, and again, this isn't rocket science, but begin with prayer, right? It's just, uh, I was struck this week as I was, as I was thinking and as I was uh, studying. I mean, Jesus, before he chose his disciples, be, the, the day before, the night before, he chose who he was going to invest his life in, who he was going to teach, who he was going to do life, who he was going to eat with, who he was going to hang out with for the next three years. Be, the night before he did that, what did he do? He spent the night in prayer. Right? He didn't sleep. He spent the whole night in prayer. And I, I, I scratched my head a little bit, and I wish, I wish it would tell us. It's one of those, I, I do this quite a bit of like, you know, you kind of keep reading, you're kind of trying to see, you're like, I wish it tells exactly what he prayed. Wouldn't that be fascinating? I would love to know that, but it doesn't tell us. Apparently, it's, it's not that important. But I think my hunch is if he spent the night praying and then he goes out and chooses his 12 disciples the next day, I bet there's a connection, don't you think? I bet he was spending some time praying, God, who do you want me to invest my life in? Who, who is there, he's praying to the Father, who is there that, that you want me to, to, to do life with, that you want me to, to reach out to, that you want me to point back home to the Father, that you want me to disciple, that you want me to whatever, right? He's, he's praying for specifics. Maybe he's even, after that, there's clarity on that. Maybe he's even praying for those people, those men and women, and saying, man, God, would you bless them? Would you grow them? Would you give them hearts that are soft and susceptible, op open to the gospel, open to you, that kind of thing? But you see, Jesus Jesus, think about this, Jesus spends the night praying. <laughs> Seem like that might be an important step for us? Absolutely. What if we would learn to go through our, through our day saying, Father, who do you want me to bless today? How can I be a blessing? How can I live for you? How can I have impact for you and for your kingdom? I remember hearing a story, actually, I read a story just this week, true story, uh, Great guy, love it. A uh, guy by the name of uh, Louis, I'll just kind of stick with that. But he uh, was uh, kind of a newer to this kind of thing, started praying this, and he was learning to do it as he walked throughout his day. So like as he's walking, every time he's walking, he's just, just looking around and praying, God, is there somebody that, that you want to serve or that you want to bless through me today? Is there somebody that I can pray for or reach out to or whatever? Would, would you open my eyes? I mean, again, if the, if the fields are white with harvest, man, there's probably no better prayer than just say, would you open my eyes? Would you open my, my, my eyes to see the opportunities you're putting around me. You open my ears to hear the promptings of your spirit. But he's praying this way. And so one day he's at the mall and he's, uh, he's walking through and he's praying this way. And uh, he, this didn't happen to him very often, but he kind of had this sense. He, he's like, I, th I think God wants me to, he saw this guy sitting on a bench. He said, I think God wants me to go tell this guy that God loves him. He's like, and he's talking to the Lord in the back of his head going, God, this guy's going to think I flipped my cap. Like, he's gonna, I, I've never seen him before. I don't know him. He's going to think I'm nuts. Like, this is crazy talk. And he, again, a second time, kind of felt that impression from the Holy Spirit. He's like, God, I don't know. A third time. And he's like, finally, he's like, okay. I mean, I, I'm just doing it. It's clearly you, God. Uh, and so he goes up to this man. He says, Sir, I don't, I don't know you. I apologize. This is going to sound weird. He said, but I just have this real strong sense that God wants me to tell you that he's crazy about you. He loves you so much. And the guy kind of tears up. Tears start pooling in the corners of his eyes. He said, you know what? I've been going through a really rough season. And he said, this morning I prayed and I said, God, if you're real and if you care, would you send somebody to tell me? He said, I've never once had anybody else come up to me and say what you just said to me. He said, but you're the third person today. Wow. <laughs> and I'm just like, man, what would God, I mean, sometimes just as we pray, it starts aligning our heart with God. It starts opening our eyes, opening our ears and our souls. And all of a sudden, the Lord, it's the first step. The Lord starts leading and directing us. And we see opportunities he's put before us. If we would begin by praying, by praying, God, for ourselves even, God, would you open my eyes? Would you keep me inside? Who can I bless? And praying for those around us, even by name, our, our neighbors and our, our coworkers and family members, and just praying for them. What would God do? I'll tell you what, prayer is not just a little side job, right? That's the battle, right? That's the good stuff. That's when, when we pray, the living God answers, and he works. 
Okay, so I, I put this up on that last slide too. But uh, so I went to this thing uh, at the Billy Graham School of Evangelism in uh, at Wheaton College this week. I had, they had a seminar thing I went to, and they they mentioned uh, this app or this uh, website called BlessEveryHome.com. You should pull it up. It's at the bottom of your bookmark. You should you should get on this thing. This is pretty stinking cool and a little disturbing all at the same time. But I'm going to stick with the cool part, okay? <laughs> but like you you put in your name, your address, your email, all that kind of stuff, and you by the way, there's a setting on there where you can even uh, put in the church. It'll it'll find Ignite, and you can put that in, and it'll keep track of all of us total, like kind of what we're doing. But then then you can kind of go on. This is one of the things you can go on a map. The thing with the circle on it is where I live. I can click on any of these, and it tells me who my na- the name of my neighbors. If you don't know the name of your neighbors, that's what I said is a little disturbing. You can go around. It's got opportunities where you can record, hey, I'm praying for this person. Right? So you, you click on it, say, I'm praying. There's also opportunities to say, hey, I, I've, I've had a chance to share with them, or I'm caring for them, or whatever else. It tracks all of that cumulative, cumulatively, like for the church and stuff. Isn't that cool? I'm like, so it, even it, like... For us, we know the name of our, like, our immediate neighbors. We know some of the people uh, a little bit further. But like you start walking around the block, people on the other side of the, the block from us or whatever else, I'm like, I have no idea. But you can kind of walk around. You can click on that. You can pray for them by name as you walk around. Isn't that cool? Imagine what God would do if we would start taking prayer seriously that way. Start prayer walking our own neighborhoods. Start getting to know our neighbors and praying for the needs as they come up. Who knows what God could do? I should keep going or I'm totally going to get in trouble. Um, so the first thing, right, is, is uh, the, the whole blessed strategy is begin with prayer. We just start praying missionally with that kind of view and that kind of lens that way. And then the next one, go ahead. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Number two is listen. And this one is uh, fascinating for me. I think sometimes we start thinking about um, especially if we think about evangelism, sometimes if we think about living missionally or having impact, we start thinking about that has to do with what I say, what I share, what I whatever. And of course, that's part of it. But this one's fascinating to me. This one just reminds us to actually close our mouths and listen, right? Again, it's it's not a converter strategy. So I have to force all this information and stuff on people and kind of make them listen. No, no, this is relationship. And so sometimes the best evangelistic opportunity and the best missional, uh, mission of Jesus sort of opportunities is for us just to listen and get to know people and love people, right? That kind of a thing. It's part of the gig. Uh, this one was fascinating to me. Uh, and I guess I'll just say this before I go. I, I think the perk, if we stop talking and start listening, maybe we ask questions and then listen to answers, is, uh, is first of all, I think people will eventually, they'll tell us how we can love them, right? They'll tell us how we can serve them. They'll tell us what they need. And if we listen enough, oftentimes, they'll tell us and open the door for us to talk about Jesus. It happens all the time. It really does. If you just listen, people talk about spiritual stuff all the time, and it's an opening if you listen, right? If we, if, if we close our mouths and open our ears and listen a little bit. This one is fascinating to me this week. Uh, Acts chapter 8 is a, a classic kind of story. It's about a guy by the name of Philip, right? A Christ follower, somebody that's learning to, to kind of live their lives this way. And I think this is awesome. The Holy Spirit basically tells him, okay, I want you to go up next to this chariot and shut up and open your ears and listen and you'll know what to do, right? Listen, listen to this. This is Acts chapter 8, starting with verse 29. It says, the Spirit told Philip, so this is the quote, right? Go to that chariot and stay near it. So that was it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and, and what does that say? And he heard uh, the man that was in the chariot reading the, uh, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet. And so he asked, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, uh, unless somebody explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the, the part that he's reading is a prophecy written about Jesus, right? And so Philip's like, well, let me tell you. Right? Let me tell you who this is talking about. It's talking about Jesus who has come to be the Savior of the world, right? Kind of, I mean, opportunities present themselves when we move towards others and when we just simply start listening third thing, we'll keep going here, is they, uh, the, the E, right? So uh, they begin with prayer, they listen, they eat, right? They eat with other people. This one is great. Uh, <laughs> Jesus did this all the time. In fact, he was referred to in a derogatory sense as a friend. He goes and eats with tax collectors and 
right? The religious leaders hated who he, he hung out with, but Jesus kept doing, he was sort of did this in a serial sort of fashion. He'd just eat with people all the time. He'd just hang out with them. He'd go to their houses. He'd that was just sort of how he rolled. I remember um, a friend of mine, uh, I'll call it quote, quote, friend of mine, but uh, acquaintance of mine that, that had gone on a bunch of missions trips uh, throughout his life. I mean, the guy's been a Christ follower for a long time. And uh, he, he told me one day we we're talking about reaching people and evangelism, some of that kind of stuff. He said, oh, he's like, have you ever track bombed somebody? And I'm like, what are you even talking? I'm like, is this English? I was like, tracked, bombed someone? Like, is that like, is that like literal, like explosive sort of? Thing? He's like, oh man, he's, it's awesome. I'm like, okay, well, tell me about this. And he's, <laughs> it's, I kid you not, this is the picture. So he's like, oh, he's like, we've done this in some different countries and whatever else. Like we roll down the windows in a car and somebody drives and then there, you got people in the back and they take these tracks, like these th stuff that talks about God or talks about Jesus and that kind of stuff. And you roll them up real tight, sort of like a newspaper and you put a rubber band around them so they're thick and dense. And then you drive by and when you see somebody, you chuck it at them. He's, and he's, talk, he's, talk, he's talking about like, literally smacking people upside the head. He's like, it's awesome. Well, like I said, that might be awesome for a converter type person, right? Oh, that's awesome. I'm like, but how effective do you think it is? If, if I'm standing there and I get smacked in the head with something, am I going to be like, yes, Lord, take my life. I mean, I'm not sure that's going to be my response. Is that going to be your response? I might be ticked, like I'm calling 911 on them or something. Like, who are these people and where do you get off, right? I mean, what's going on? Track bombing. That might be the way of converters, but people with a blessing strategy, people with more the strategy that Jesus used move towards people in relationship. Right? This, isn't a, this isn't a notch on your belt. This isn't like a conversion of like, huh, boom, another one for me. Right? This isn't like, these are people that matter to God. These are people that Christ died for. These are people he loves. These are people that you'd love too if you knew them, right? And so in Jesus, rather than just saying, well, boom, here's a track bomb, right? I mean, you need to believe the right stuff or you didn't call them names, you know, whatever. He moved towards them in relationship and you see it again and again and again. Right, the Matthew 9, this is one of the classic ones. He, he, uh, he calls uh, a tax collector to be, one of his, uh, to be one of his disciples, to be one of his followers. And then it says this, uh, right after he calls him, he says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, a tax collector, many other tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees, the religious leaders, saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Does that sound familiar, like what we were talking about before? They're looking down their noses, how can he he hang out with those people. But Jesus did it again and again and again. In, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus is walking down the road. There's another sin, sinner guy. There's another chief tax collector. He's named Zacchaeus. He's a man of small stature, so he climbed a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus says, come down. I'm hanging out with you today. I'm going to go stay at your house. We're going to hang out. We're going to have a meal together. We're going to he move, he tended to move towards in relationship those especially that were far from God, those that were most in need of a relationship with Christ. He didn't track bomb them. He didn't, whatever else, he loved them, right? He moved towards them. He asked questions. He listened. He, and then eventually he would share and point him back home to life with the Father. I just wonder how much impact, and I, I get it. I'm guilty here too. We're busy, aren't we? We're busy people. And, and I've, I've said before, I don't think we should ever use that as an excuse, right? But let me ask this question. Is it a priority for you to eat with people, to hang out with people, to be with people, especially those that are far from God, especially those that maybe don't have a church home, maybe don't know uh, what's going on? If we would just prioritize that and we'd love well and we'd listen when we move towards them, I'm telling you what, I wonder how the Lord would use you. Your life could have tremendous impact if we would get close to people, love them well, and then if we are the real deal, we'll get to point them back home to Jesus. It happens all the time. One of the phrases we've said over the years is barbecue first, right? We want to we want to talk about like conversions and whatever. I'll tell you what, move towards people, have them over, barbecue, right? Hang around the fire, campfire together, whatever, and uh, and do life, and you'll have we'll have opportunities galore. 
All right, fourth one is serve. And this is just great. I mean, serve. There's a phrase, what is it? You'll catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. You guys ever heard that? And it's true, right? It's a strategy, it's true. When we learn to serve people around us, we learn to meet needs. Uh, when we learn to express love through practical care, I'm telling you what, we'll have opportunities galore. Jesus, of course, exemplified that. Right? He, he fed people that were hungry. He healed people that were sick. He freed people that were enslaved. <coughs> he turned water into wine for people who had run out at the party. <laughs> Somebody else should explain that one to you. But I mean, like, right? I mean, there's all this kind of, I mean, he met practical needs. He did it all the time. And in fact, this week especially, we remember the God that came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' entire life was not about his own comfort, but it was about ours to some degree. He came to serve us. He came because we had a need. He came because we were separated from God. He came because we were stuck in our sins. He came because, right, he came to serve us, to give his life so that we could come back home to the Father, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be made new. And then he says to his followers, he says, now I want you to go and serve as I have served you. Right? It's, it's the whole thing. It's his strategy. It's how he lived, and it's how we are meant to live as well. If you want to have impact, friends, if you want to be a blessing to those around you, then look for ways to serve and then do it. Put it into practice. It's one of the reasons that we do community service projects as a church all the time, because we want to be a blessing to our community. It's why we do free oil changes in the summer for single moms. It's why we help paint or rebuild homes on the south side or in the bottoms in East Peoria. It's why we volunteer to, to feed the homeless through loaves and fish or uh, pack disaster relief bags at Midwest Food Bank. It's because we're called, we are blessed to be a blessing to others. And love always gets lived out by our service. The fifth one is this story stands for God's story and the story of how God has worked in your life as well. This one just has to do with simply sharing our stories of how God has worked in our lives and transformed us and how he has come into human history as Savior and King. Without this piece, I think people are tempted just to believe, well, that, you know, they're tempted to believe that. Jake, he's just a really nice guy. He's just a really good guy. If we never get to story, this is always the downside of we'll talk about sometimes the people in the church talk about friendship evangelism. But when we talk about that, we mostly mean friendship, right? And, and there has to be this piece too because, because Jesus is real, because eternity is real, because the only hope we have for life with Christ today, tomorrow, and on through eternity is Jesus. And so you have to get to the, to the story part as well. But the, the good thing is if we're doing these other ones well, we get opportunities all the time to share about God's story, to share about what he's done and who he is. And the good news that there is life and hope, right? Restoration available. We, we're welcome back home around God's table for those that put their faith and trust in Christ. We get opportunities all the time to share God's story. I remember reading this book uh, a number of years ago called the, the No Guilt Guide for Witnessing, and it, it, they tell the story of a guy by the name of John Currier lived a long time ago, 1949. Uh, he was found guilty of murder and uh, sentenced to life in prison. Later, he was transferred and paroled to a work farm near Nashville, Tennessee, doing hard labor, where he lived and carried that out day after day after day after day. In 1968, his sentence was terminated. He was freed, and a letter bearing the good news was sent to him, but he never received it, and no one ever told him. And so for the next decade, this free man lived and worked on that farm, doing hard labor day after day after day after day, even though he had been freed. Eventually, uh, after more than a decade, a state parole officer learned of uh, Courier's plight and found him and told him that his sentence had been terminated and that he was a free man. The author concludes his story by saying, would it matter to you if someone sent you an important message, the most important message of your life, and year after year after year, the urgent message was never delivered? Would that matter? <laughs> of course, the answer is yes. I have to say, friends, at, at the most elementary level, 
for us to live our lives on mission with Jesus, to live our lives for kingdom impact, to live our lives as leaders and ambassadors for Christ. In the most elementary form, it's somebody just telling somebody else that there's forgiveness in life, that there's a way back home to God, that there's hope and purpose. Even when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, that there's fullness, right, and fulfillment that's found only in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you and I are called to be a part of that mission, to be a part of that story. He wants to use you to change people's lives, to change people's eternities even. And I know we've got excuses. All of us have excuses, right? Well, I don't know enough. I don't have enough Bible verses memorized. I don't have. I can remember the first person that that I actually was was there for and got to pray with that received Christ. It was the mo- the biggest catastrophe of my life, right? Like I stumbled over everything. I'd been a Christian not very long. I didn't know any Bible verses. I couldn't even get. I barely got the message of Jesus out <laughs> coherently at all. In fact, we got to the end and I asked him, I'm like, man, where are you at? You, you ready to put your hope and faith in Christ? And actually, I put my, I, to my, I mean, I just kind of put my head down like this and I thought, he probably thought I was praying or something real spiritual. I was literally shaking my head inside going, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I blew it. There's no way, there's no way this guy's ever going to give his life to Christ. I, I wouldn't give my life to Christ. I'm not even sure I'm saved after saying that, right? You're just like, I I don't know what's going on, but you get that. I put my head down, and, and the silence, it, it felt like an eternity for me, but the silence was broken. I'm saying, yeah, I, I'm in. He's still following Christ today. Right? The, the, the thing that's hopeful to me about that is that God uses us, right? That's amazing. And it doesn't matter how much or how little you know. It doesn't matter whatever, but God's going to use you. It doesn't have to be eloquent, right? We're just beggars helping other beggars find food, right? It doesn't have to be eloquent just to point people back home and say, man, there's life. This Jesus has changed my whole life. And he can change yours too if you'll just come put your faith and trust. Open him up. Say, Jesus, I need you to come and forgive me. I need you to make me new, and I want to follow you. That's, it's really that simple. It's not just, not just conversion, not just a notch in the, oh, I prayed that prayer, check. You know, kind of, it's not that. But as we love people, if the claims of Christ are true, if he really is the way and the truth and the life, if, if it's really true that nobody comes to the Father except through Christ, that that's the only path to, to restoration with God, if it's really true that that's where hope and life is found, how could we not share that with people that we love, with people around us that we care about, people that we've eaten around the table together, people that we've been praying for? How could we not also say, man, there is good news for you today. There's hope. It's found in Jesus. The mission is clear, Right? He's told us again and again. He's told us as followers, we look at this virtually every week of the series that we've been doing. Matthew 28, great commission. Jesus says, okay, great. Final words to my followers. He's like, go. Here's how I want you to live. Every day of your life from this point forward, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always. Jesus says, it. surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Friends, God has called you. He has called me to go and to bless, right? To bless the world around us. You can do it. I can do it. This is something anybody, begin with prayer, right? Listen, eat, Right? I'm um, he's like, yeah, finally, a strategy built around eating. Like, I can do that, right? Like, let's do that. Let's, let's have a meal together. Serve. Just as we'd see needs, just stoop down. Serve. Help. Bless. Practically. Uh, and then share God's story in our story. We got, I mean, obviously, we've got some very specific, some very easy ways to do that this week, right? What, I mean, First of all, if you are available, if you uh, are not working Tuesday at 4 o'clock, why don't you please show up here? We're going to invite our neighborhood. It's the easiest invite ever, but we're inviting them to come and have a chance to hear the gospel message, the good news about Christ. Would you, and this is not a thing for Easter, I was trying to say this earlier, but would you, would you commit and start saying, you know what, I could do one of these things every day. If you don't have opportunity to do the others, we can at least pray for opportunities. We can at least pray that God opens our eyes to the harvest. 
that God gives us chance to serve, to, to even know who is there around me that I can invite over, that we could have a meal together, we could go out to eat, I don't care, but just kind of take that next step in moving towards them. Who is there I can serve? Who is there I can love today? Who is there that I can share with about Christ? Would you take this, like I said, put it on your refrigerator, on, by your bedstand, in your Bible, wherever you're going to see it, and, and would you start at least one of these every day, start saying, I'm going to live this way. Not just the week of Easter, although the week of Easter too, but what if we live this out every day? What if we followed God's example with, and lived out a blessing strategy? And uh, the invitation kind of things uh, Tina mentioned earlier, I had it here. Oh, can you pass me that egg? <laughs> so we've got a postcard that we had someplace. I think it's gone. But there, there's a bunch of postcards out there. Again, we've designed them with, with uh, uh, some space on there for you to write a personal note, just inviting friends, family members, coworkers, whatever. Who's there around you that needs, that, that you need to move towards and, uh, and kind of help point them to Christ? And would you do that today before you leave? Again, I've, you guys probably saw I sent out a video earlier in the week just encouraging us, saying, man, I want everybody to invite two or three or four people. If, if you're not inviting multiple people, I don't think you're thinking hard enough, right? There, there's, God's put hundreds of people around you that you could invite. Let's, let's be intentional and strategic. Let's, let's send those invites. You fill it out today. We'll mail it for you. Midweek, we'll send out one of these. Again, it's, it's happy to from, you'll, you'll fill that out. It says, you're invited because you're one of my peeps. It's got a chocolate-covered peep in there, another candy. It's got an invitation to Easter to come and join us. It's meant to be creative, to have a little shock factor, like what the heck is this and who's sending it to me? Uh, but Again, it's an invitation to come and check out Jesus this Easter. Uh, we've got easy, easy opportunities to do that. Good Friday, Sunday, Easter Sunday as well. Um, in addition, I think it can easily elevate your conversations with people. If, you ha if you've had only a work relationship or only a neighborly relationship, you end up inviting them to church. All of a sudden, you'd be amazed at how easy it is. God kind of opens up doors and be like, oh, I didn't know you go to church. Be like, yeah, well, it's, 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 it's an open, yeah. Right, we'll kind of go backwards. It's an, e it's an open door. It's an easy opportunity to be able to point people to Jesus. Say, man, yeah, Christ has totally transformed my life. It's great. Love to have you come join us kind of thing. Who knows what God will do as we sort of live this stuff out? So that's my hope. That's my prayer. Let's be praying. Let's be inviting. Let's be reaching out to those around us this week. Easter Sunday, we'll bring the gospel as clearly as we can. We'll point people to Jesus, and we'll trust him to transform hearts and lives. Let's, uh, let's end with prayer. Father, that's our cry. Lord, I do pray that you'd use us. Uh, give us, open our eyes. You tell us that the fields are white with harvest. Open our eyes this week, God. Who is there around me? Who is there around us, each one of us? that we could be reaching out to, that we could be loving on, that we could be praying for, that we could be building relationship with, having a meal with them around the table, serving or uh, sharing with that desperately needs Jesus. Lord, would you use us to see your kingdom come in power this Easter and beyond. <laughs> we want to live for your kingdom. We want to live for your mission. We want to bless those around us and see them come to life as they put their trust in Christ too. So would you lead and guide us to that end? Would you give us courage and boldness even to step out and to follow your lead? And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory as we see you work. We love you. We need you, God. We lift these things up in Jesus' name. Amen.